listening to the Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Marlene Bynum sitting in for Alan Carter today. And big news, as we just heard in our newscast, that the Federal Ethics Commissioner, Mario Dion, has released the report. And it is a challenge at this moment for Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and the Liberals. Uh, The commissioner says that the Prime Minister contravened a section of the Conflict of Interest Act by using his position of authority over then-Justice Minister Jody Wilson-Raybould to get her to overrule the Director of Public Prosecution's decision to not negotiate a deal with SNC-Lavalin. We know this story, and here it is... You know, the the prime minister has been asked about this, and now we have this ethics report, and it is going to be a challenge for the liberals. Here, quote, from the report, Commissioner Dion finds that senior officials, who included both senior ministerial staff and public officials, would not have acted without a full and clear appreciation of the prime minister's position on the matter. So that is dragging the prime minister in here. We're going to get some reaction off we go to ottawa joining us is mercedes stevenson ottawa bureau chief for global news and host of the west block mercedes welcome how are you I'm well, thanks, Arlene. Certainly uh, reading this report with uh, voracious appetite, as you can imagine, like everyone else in Ottawa right now. You got it. I've been going through it myself, and uh, let's put it this way. It appears to be a bit of a challenge as we begin our election campaign in the fall for the prime ministers. What is the most damning part of this to your eyes, Mercedes? Well, I think that it's extremely damaging in that, on the one hand, it is saying many of the allegations that Jody Wilson-Raybould made um, are are essentially accurate. Um, It doesn't use those words, but it says that the Prime Minister directed staff in his office to put pressure on Jody Wilson-Raybould, that he himself put pressure on Jody Wilson-Raybould, that he did so inappropriately, that he should not have done that in his position, that it was done for inappropriate partisan political purposes, and that the Attorney General should never be asked to consider those purposes, that it is in fact, contrary to the Canadian constitutional principles the country has long abided by, as well as the principles of rule of law and prosecutorial independence. I've never seen a report like this before. The other part of it that's quite damaging is where it talks about how the Prime Minister was trying to stonewall the ethics uh, commissioner and, and that they felt they were really having difficulty getting answers because this is a government that has promised openness and transparency. Mm-hmm. And part of why SNC-Lavalin was so damaging to them is because it was so contrary to their brand. And here you have the ethics commissioner, who, by the way, was a well-known liberal partisan before he went into this position. This is not somebody who was a conservative exactly. coming out and saying what happened should not have happened, and they were not giving me the kind of access that I needed. Uh, And it gives the Conservatives and the NDP and the Greens something very solid, a benchmark to point to, to say it's not just us making these allegations. The Ethics Commissioner has found this, and oh, by the way, this is the second time the Prime Minister has been Mm -hmm. found to be in violation of ethics rules. It, it is. It is going to be certainly a political problem here. And as you say, this is something that people brace themselves that it may be a little bit of a light touch on this problem. On the good news side, Mercedes, we can have faith in this ethics commissioner. Uh, this is government at work. 
It is. It's, it shows you the system works. I think where a lot of people will find frustration is the lack of serious consequences. You can break the ethics laws in Canada, and all that really happens is that people say, oh, you broke the ethics laws, that was bad. Sometimes there's a small fine, uh, but there's not some sort of serious consequence that comes out of that, um, which is not something that is the ethics commissioner's fault. It's the way that the laws are written in this country, and it certainly shows that the process is working in that you, you do have independence, even when it's a former partisan in that position, he's taking his position very seriously. Um, and, and it's something that, you know, it goes contrary to so much of what they've been saying publicly. They flat out denied that this happened, that there was inappropriate pressure or that people were directed. And now you have Mario Dion saying, that's not what I believe happened. I think that the pressure was inappropriate. I think it was extensive. I think it happened over a period of months. Uh, and I've been in touch with Jody Wilson-Raybould. She's yes. looking at the report, reading it as we speak. Uh, she hasn't gotten all the way through it. It's over 60 pages long. Mm-hmm. And she said she's not going to comment further until she's had a chance to read it. Um, but for her, I'd imagine there's probably some significant feelings of vindication coming because this is what she had said had happened. Uh, people have said she misunderstood the situation. She experienced it differently. The ethics commissioner is not finding that. You got it. And also using the word, as I have a copy here, partisan political interests, according to this commissioner, were improperly put to the attorney general for consideration. Just wrapping things up here, Mercedes, this is a live hot wire before this election campaign. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. It will be a big issue in the election campaign, and I think you can expect every opposition party to point to this repeatedly. Mercedes Stevenson, thank you for joining us. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Arlene. Mercedes is Ottawa Bureau Chief for Global News and host of the West Block. Here we go. We're going to take your thoughts on this. It comes out of the blue, and I, I meant it when I said to Mercedes, it kind of gives you faith, because this is not a as something, this is not a conservative prepared this report. And when we talk about partisanship and heavy polarization, we look at it in the United States, we're looking at it here as we head into this election campaign, and we wonder, if the tools of government and democracy are working for us. And that's essentially what SNC-Lavalin was about. And as Mercedes says so correctly, the reason this was grabbing headlines, if we want to take our minds back to it, is this is off-brand for this prime minister. He was going to be a fresh face in the prime minister's office and not do politics as usual and here we have this report extremely damning you heard mercedes say that she has never seen a report like this it really is very 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 powerful here's another quote here from the report and i made a a brief reference to it but the commissioner found that partisan political interests were improperly put to the attorney general for consideration on the matter contrary to the long-standing constitutional principles relating to prosecutorial independence and the rule of law. Heavy stuff. We're going to talk about what possible penalties and also take your thoughts on this. You know, every day when I talk about politics, I'm extremely interested in it. So I'm always, you know, looking for what is going to be what is going to matter in this election campaign. We know yesterday the prime minister was in the city of Toronto here and weighing in on gun control, promising that that is going to be an election issue. Well... Here we are, SNC-Lavalin back on the table, certainly at this moment, 
how are the liberals going to handle this? We know, as Mercedes mentioned, the the conservatives and the Greens and the NDP have to be looking at this very carefully. It is a big, juicy steak for Andrew Shear, and he is dining out. And the conservatives here, because this is the moment. I mean, the, the writ has not been dropped. This is a big political moment anyway, if this happens to any party. On the other hand, we have an election campaign, and we have a prime minister who is now campaigning on his record, not campaigning on the fact that he is going to be the person who does things differently. We're going to take a break, and when we return, a bit of a bomb today, we've got the Ethics Commissioner's Report on SNC-Lavalin and the Conflict of Interest Act and finding there is a violation and giving the opposition a lot of ammunition. It hits with a bang, and we haven't even dropped the writ for the election campaign. What a report from the Federal Elections Commissioner, Mario Dion, saying the Prime Minister contravened conflict of interest. A section of that act, by using his position of authority over Jody Wilson-Raybould to try to get her to overrule the director of public prosecution's decision, as we remember, to negotiate a deal, a legal deal that would get SNC-Lavalin off the hook and they wouldn't have criminal prosecution. Here we go. We're going to take your thoughts on this, on how you think this may be received. Is, is this passed for Canadians or does this reignite the fire? Because let's just look at the context here. We have Jody Wilson-Raybould, who is running as an independent Liberals announcing just days ago they were going for it with a very, very strong candidate they have picked. Jody Wilson-Raybould not commenting on this. This is a long report. Surely she's feeling some vindication here. And it's tough stuff. It's tough stuff for the Liberals and the Prime Minister as they head into this election campaign because this is not the first time that the Prime Minister has violated the ethics laws in this country. Also, just before we go to the phones, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. I just want to point out another part that came from this report that the clerk of the Privy Council declined the commissioner's, the ethics commissioner's request to get all cabinet confidences as he was trying to examine it. Um, the uh, lawyer for our prime minister says that decision had nothing to do with the prime minister. So here we go. Stymied at every turn. We're going to go to the phones, take your thoughts here. Dennis and Scarborough. Dennis, welcome. How are you, Arlene? I'm good. Are you surprised by this? I'm really surprised. I thought for sure the uh, liberals would try and bury this mm-hmm. like they have everything else. Uh, my concern, though, now that this comes out is the implications this has for our situation with China and our citizens being held there. I'm sure China is going to jump all over this because they've always been saying, hey, you you break the law, you break when the you law want anytime to. you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Trudeau's got no credibility now with China. It's totally botched. 
Yeah, that could, that absolutely could be you know? something that happens here. And yeah. and you're right, it's going to have a lot of implications. It also clearly doesn't look good. I mean, it, I, I'm looking at some of the reactions here, and a lot of people are surprised, like you, Dennis, that mm-hmm. this has come out. It does, does it make you feel good about our government? It does me. Well, at least it makes me feel good that perhaps uh, some people in Ottawa do have a conscience. <laughs> That they, you know, instead of uh, being partisan, they uh, said, no, no, somebody broke the rules here, and we have to out them. All right, Dennis, thank you for your call. Yes. Now, what do you say, as as you're hearing about this, is this going, is this going to affect the election? You know, just before I sat down here, I was talking to uh, someone in the Liberal Party who said, I'm glad the Prime Minister did this. I'm glad. I don't know if they'd had a chance to really go through this report because it is going to be a very tough road to get out. You have a Prime Minister who said he was going to be different off-brand And in the last few weeks, the Liberals have been crawling back up from that pit after SNC-Lavalin. Already, there's lots of reaction from the Conservative Party of Canada. And here is the deputy leader once again, Lisa Raitt. Well, guess what? The Commissioner of Ethics had said it's not false, and what you did was wrong, and you're guilty of interfering and using your influence over the Attorney General for political partisan purposes. So... I'd like to see exactly what he's going to say about this. When you this figure- is not a good day for our democracy at all. There we go. Lisa Raitt joining Kelly Cutrera. And let's return to your thoughts on this. Dave in Toronto. Hi, Dave. Hello, Dave. Hi. Are you with us? Hi, I'm there. Uh, this is my opinion. I think it's got a lot of uh, facts behind it. If this were a conservative leader, like say this was Harper, okay, or say it was... Yeah. Cheer or um, Maxime Bernier, that every single news outlet in Canada would make this a 24-hour news cycle. This guy has to resign. This guy is the worst person ever. Remember Harper with the Patrick Duffy thing mm-hmm. and all that stuff? The news would be 24-7. But because it's Trudeau, and most of the media admit it, except for you guys. Most of the media leans left, especially the CBC. I know you got to be on. I got to be. I, I'm watching this carefully, and I got to disagree with you, Dave, on this story. I think the media was on it. This was broken by the Globe and Mail here. I mean, there were stories saying in, in, in even uh, Trudeau-friendly media organizations about the seriousness. And I'm on Twitter right now, and there's a lot of people that I know are liberals in this media world and they are gobsmacked by this report but but as the election approaches watch media say oh but you know trudeau did a lot to save jobs in quebec he did the only thing he had well that has been their defense all along oh you watch that's exactly what the cbc and the media are going to start doing i guarantee you all right dave thank you so much for your call and juanita in toronto juanita welcome are you surprised about this report I am, I'm not surprised, but my comment is really that I'm happy that it came out uh, now, two months prior to the election. And my reason is I'm sick and tired of the media and others trumping up issues that we Canadians should really think is important. I think that as Canadians, we're going to look at everything. We're really going to examine 
the full platform of all the candidates. And we're going to make a decision based on that. So I think that within the issues that are facing this country, I would say that's probably number 12 on the list. SNC Lavalin, this is number 12 for you, Juanita. Thank you for your call. There we go. Uh, What's important in this election? I want to get to Tony and Vaughn. Hi, Tony. Hi, good afternoon. Hey. Is this going to matter? I think it will. I think uh, Canadians have to remember this. And I think, you know, this is a prime minister who walked in and said he was all about, you know, uh, women's rights. And uh, look at what happened now. He basically... uh, tried to persuade somebody to make a decision just because he didn't agree with it and uh, he ended up uh, taking her out of his uh, out of his cabinet so i think canadians need to remember that he was very hypocritical and uh, this should matter during elections yeah, and and the timing of it is not good for the liberals here. You know, as we say, they're crawling out of that pit after this, and it really grabbed Canadians. We haven't even heard from Jody Wilson-Raybould. What's she going to say? She certainly has to feel vindicated. I think she will be, and I think she's going to stay a little bit quiet because she's trying to get back into mm-hmm. politics. But at the same time, I think, you know, when you look at this prime minister, he's going to come back and say he's being bullied, and, and he really... Uh, I think he's very hypocritical. I, I tried to kind of, uh, you know, think about him when he was elected that, you know, maybe we should give him a chance, but he's just failed Canadians time and time again. And I think everybody needs to remember this very clearly, clearly in October. All right, Tony, thank you. Is it going to matter? Is it going to resonate? It is a bit of a surprise for people here today. Chris, what do you say? I say the person that's surprised today is Mr. Trudeau himself. <laughs> I mean, the man's operated this this way his entire life, charming, uh, charming from one to the one to the next, and 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 luring people around. Um, this is the way the man operates. Yeah, you, this is nothing new. He's gonna. It's gonna take a while to wrap his head around around being. Um, having the finger pointed as, as being unethical. Many people in the Liberal Party are breathing a sigh of relief and thinking that SNC-Lavalin was behind them. This has really stoked the fire, and we've got a full-on flame here. Chris, do you think it's going to come back with the intensity? A lot of Canadians felt strongly, so much so that the Liberals really fell in the polls. I, I, I think the Liberals are, are in the midst of imploding. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we, just need, we just need to sit back and, and you know, enough rope now and um, the election's coming and, and I think uh, it'll be quick and dirty. All right. Thank you, Chris. It doesn't matter. We had a caller, Juanita, who said it's number 12 on the list. Other stuff matters. Dan, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, this is, you know, her call was couldn't be more perfect in terms of illuminating the climate of the Canadian mentality when it comes to the Liberal government. They can literally just get away with just about anything. It's case in point is the same thing that happened with uh, Morneau, our finance minister, who was caught regulating his own companies with while being our finance minister. A complete conflict of interest. Uh, it should be borderline illegal if it's not. Yet nothing happened. He was still in power, was still our finance uh, finance minister. It just didn't make any sense. Let, let me ask you, Dan, the same thing. this is not the Prime Minister's first rodeo with the ethics commissioner here. Uh, does a no. pattern matter? Do you, you know, this was a much bigger story than the Aga Khan. Well, it, it's to your point, he's been in, uh, in, in quite a few situations that are ethically challenged. And what happens? 
nothing. He does not, he, there's no talk of impeachment. There's no talk of removing him. As your previous caller suggested, if this was Harper, they'd be asking for his head. And none of this seems to happen. And I am, I am a believer in the fact that the country is, the media is completely biased towards the liberal government, especially... On this the, story, though, Dan, I got to say, everywhere I went, there's a lot of criticism of this. I, I, I you know, this was covered pretty fairly. But you have to admit, there's no, there's no, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no liberal um, spice added to it. It's, if this was, uh, again, the flip side, they'd be asking for heads to be rolling. They'd be asking for immediate... Well, we've got heads the Conservatives are asking. Well, they have been. Andrew Shear was when the first thing happened, so we'll see. Dan, thank you for your call. Getting some great reaction here in Barrie. It's Bob. Hi, Bob. Hi, how are you? Thank you for taking my call. I think I think people across Canada should be looking at him as a total, I hate to say the word, but liar. I mean, he told everybody 9,000 jobs were uh, going to be sacrificed if this didn't go through. It wasn't, yeah. And, and yet a professor from your own station on an interview with Mike, I think, many months ago, said they've investigated it, and Trudeau gave one point. $3 billion to the same company with the agreement that they had to stay in Canada for 2024. Mm-hmm. And then he also found out that they've got $30 billion already uh, in contract uh, contracts uh, waiting for the next two to three years. There's no way anybody was going to lose their jobs. And yet he stood there and said, I'm saving jobs for Canada. The man has fabricated every inch of the way and he should be impeached. All right, thank you for your call. There we go. A little touch of reaction here. We're going to take a break. For Alan Carter, I'm Arlene Vine, and this is Global News Radio 640 Toronto. For Alan Carter, I'm Arlene Bynum. You know, there's lots of economic news that is happening today. Lots of warning about invert curves and looming recessions and a lot of economic news that points that we could be heading for a downturn. And what does that mean for Canada? And what does all these curves and indicators that say this could happen up to 20 months ahead of time, how important and on the mark is it? Joining us is Rubina ahmed Hawk, who is 640 Toronto's personal finance expert. Rubina, welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Arlene? Hey, I am good. It's just all over the news today that there are all these curves and indicators that show there's been a downturn. How much credence should we be putting in that? I mean, there money is still very cheap in most places in the world. And so that really does indicate that central banks, so Bank of Canada, Federal Reserve, uh, they, they are really trying to encourage people to borrow more, stimulate the economy. Uh, but the problem we have is that unlike 10 years ago, economy, the economy is actually doing well. People are working. Business sentiment is up. People are spending money on things. Um, it's not like 10 years ago where all of a sudden everything just came to a screeching halt. People stopped buying automobiles, stopped buying big-ticket items, 
people were being laid off from their jobs. Christmas parties were being canceled because companies didn't have money. I mean, it really but that's was when it happened. happened, though, Rabina. You know, the indicators, and some of them were out there. And when we analyze what happened in 2008, a lot of people didn't pay any attention to it. Is this what's happening now? Because, you know, it's one thing, sometimes it's sunny and warm, but there's a hurricane coming. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there are some indicators that show that the economy uh, could indeed be slowing down, uh, especially in places like the United States, where they're now starting to cut rates again, showing that they want to stimulate the economy a little bit more. In Europe as well, in places like Germany and, and the UK, uh, they're also seeing uh, a slowdown. Uh, Canada, though, for some reason, again, is quite insulated from some of the problems that other countries are facing. Uh, we are seeing really good GDP numbers. We're seeing really uh, low unemployment, so most people are working. Um, And so we're in this very precarious position where we want to raise rates. Um, At the beginning of this year, Bank of Canada was indicating even three, four rate rate increases. Now we're thinking none for 2019. Uh, But we can't because we have to stay in step with especially the United States. If they're cutting rates, it's difficult for us to raise rates because then our country gets very expensive to do business in. Uh, We are due for a, a recession. You know, the cycle is usually 10 years, so it's been more more than 10 years since the last recession, although it was a very deep and long one. Uh, and so a lot of people are saying that if not uh, a recession, definitely an economic slowdown going forward. And that's why it's really important for people to protect things like not getting into too much debt, not taking on debt that they can't afford, um, and definitely making sure that their job is secure and keeping their skills up so that they can be working uh, throughout a time where the economy might be slowing down. I know, but, you know, as Canadians, it's, it's true. We can't escape a recession if the global economy is heading south. We just can't. Well, you know, there's this old saying that if uh, if uh, the United States sneezes, Canada mm-hmm. gets cold. And I don't know whether that is as true as it used to be. I mean, we are in very unusual economic times. There's trade wars. I mean, uh, the Trump administration has basically jumped in and disrupted trade war, uh, trade relations that have existed for decades. Mm-hmm. And so now businesses are unsure as to what the future holds. So, you know, whereas five, six, seven years ago, it was very easy to say, well, this is our relationship with China. This is our relationship relationship with Europe, and we were building on past successes. Now it's like the whole thing has been torn up and we're starting from scratch again. So there is, you know, we are trying to, I know Canada in in particular is trying to now form relationships with European trade partners and other places other than the United States, because we do, you know, because of our geography, we are right beside them, and they're a massive country. And they're the biggest. So, Rubina, it's kind of, you know, it's everybody says don't put your eggs in one basket, but, you know, China and America pretty much take up a huge percentage of that. We're in tough times with China, and if America has a recession, it's going to be tough on us as well. You know, we were all sitting on the edge of our seats before the new NAFTA deal got done. Right, and it's still not done. It's still no. not through the final phase where, you know, we're still working uh, under the old NAFTA rules. The new USMCA agreement has still not completed its last uh, approval. And so that means that businesses in Canada are still wondering, like, what is this going to mean for my business five, six years from now? You know, usually you try to have some sort of plan to scale or, you know, mm-hmm. uh, to understand where you're going to take your business going forward. It's very difficult to do when you don't even know what kind of trade relationships you're going to have. Um, And then on top of it, uh, with interest rates being so low, if governments want to cut rates in order to stimulate the economy, there's not much more they can do. I mean, we just got news that the Danish bank, the Danish central bank, has actually cut rates to below zero. That means if you take a mortgage out in Denmark, 
you can actually get money back. So what the central bank is telling commercial banks is that you have too much money in your reserve and we want to force you to lend it out. And when that, uh, because if you do not, it's going to, it's going to stall the economy. So all of a sudden uh, people are actually being paid money to, to be, have money lent to them. And so they're going to the banks in droves saying, okay, we'll, we'll borrow money, but that's going to, of course, affect inflation, affect prices. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, for some people that might make the cost of living much, much higher than they can afford. And as you mentioned, I mean, there's trade wars in the United States, and they have really put a stick in long-term trade deals. It also has to be making Canadian businesses feel a little wary. You know, we did have wage growth accelerating, but in some of the latest figures, we lost some jobs. There are some potential storm clouds on the horizons here. So there's there's a, there's sort of a, a you have to put context around this wage growth story and the unemployment story. So wage growth has has had been stalled for a good decade, uh, where people you know what they were making back in 2012 it was pretty close to what they were making even a year ago. And so now that it's starting to tick up, it's really just catching up. You know, for all these years where we didn't see wage growth. The second thing is yes, people are employed, but many people are working two three jobs just to meet yeah. their basic needs. So if you're making minimum wage in in a city like Toronto, for example, there is no way that working just 40 hours a week, you are going to be able to pay your rent, uh, put food on the table, take care of your family. You will have to take other jobs. So what that happens then happens is that eats into your family time, your leisure time, your time to actually relax and a- allow your body and your mind to recuperate after a long week at work. And so then you get people who have burnout, mental health issues, other things that sort of creep out of that. And so, yes, people are working, but are they working in jobs that are actually allowing them to have the kind of lifestyle that gives them family time, that gives them time off, uh, you know, on the weekend or whenever they get their their weekends. Well, Rabina, we're watching this and I guess people are trying to learn their lessons as we watch things kind of uh, react around the world. It is not prudent not to prepare. Yeah, I mean, the, the, every indication that I see is that money is going to stay cheap for a long time. And so I really want to press upon people that that just creates an environment where people feel like they can borrow more and more. Right now, fixed rates are below 3%. I mean, that is unprecedented for fixed rates. You could go into a bank and you can get a mortgage for 2.69, 2.7% for five years fixed. And so people feel encouraged to borrow more and more money when they see that. Mm -hmm. You still have to pay that money back. And you still have to understand that things can change. You could lose your job. You could have a sick family member. You could have other emergencies in your life uh, where your money may not all be going towards that mortgage. So make sure that when you are borrowing money, that you're borrowing it uh, with the understanding that you can afford it for the long term and that your number one uh, number one uh, uh, idea is that you're going to pay that mortgage off as quickly as possible. Because yes, money is cheap, but the only way you can take take advantage of cheap money is by borrowing and paying off as quickly as possible, because then you pay the least amount of interest and you own that home faster. Rabina Ahmed-Hak, thank you for your expertise. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right. Rabina is 640 Toronto's personal finance expert as we get a reaction to all these uh, stories uh, from Germany, the United States, uh, looming recession. The R word is being used, although it is in the future. However, the market's slumping today on all these recession warnings.
we're thinking about cottages and getting away. It is who we are as Canadians right across the land. And today we're going to talk about the meaning of cottage in our mind. Joining me is Sabrina Maddow, who is a journalist with the National Post, who wrote about the culture of cottaging in our history and what it means to us. Sabrina, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. First of all, we love cottages as Canadians, don't we? And certain parts of Canadians love love it more than others. It's just, it's part of our culture. Absolutely. It's been part of our culture since the late 1800s. And while it might be called something different in different areas of Canada, some people call it camp, some people call it lake houses. Uh, it's something that's really vital to Canadiana. It is. And, you know, in your piece, you took a look at what we get out of it. As you say, you know, it's about who we want to be seen as rather than who we truly are. Let me ask you, first of all, was that always the way it is? Or did we used to go to a cottage because of our connection with wilderness and nature and all that Canadian Great White North stuff? It's actually been connected with image going way far back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Cottage life was mostly for the upper classes, prominent politicians, businessmen, even American industrialists. Uh, There was a millionaire's row in Muskoka, so it was definitely connected to an aspirational lifestyle back then. And then that changed a bit uh, when we had industrialization and the Second World War. It became more accessible to the middle class. It is, and now it seems to be even growing more. How do you think in our modern times we connect who we are with the cottage? It's really become an escape, and it's Mm -hmm. become an expression of anti-modernism in some ways. So again, going back to industrialization and after the Second World War, when people were becoming company men and consumption was reaching an all-time high, people really wanted to resist that and go back to the good old days and escape and go back to simplicity. And now in modern times, when we're surrounded by social media and being on call with email 24 hours a day, we're still having that anti-tech, anti-modernism backlash where we're trying to escape that by going into the woods and find an identity that maybe we lost years ago. Do you think we realize that? Because sometimes it's about a cottage being fancy, ostentatious, getting all that stuff. Or, or are we, are you saying that we're yearning for the less part about it? I think over the last few decades, it has been the yearning for the less, but now we're seeing some changes. Mm -hmm. We're seeing Muskoka and cottage country in general, general, like you said, become fancier. Uh, Many cottages now are upwards of a million dollars. It's not uncommon to see $10 million Mm -hmm. and up cottages on the lakes of Muskoka. So I think we're returning to that aspirational lifestyle, and we're seeing a lot of fashion brands tap into the cottage culture, and we're seeing the rise of social media in cottage country. So it is seeming to become, again, more about being seen while you're there and maybe less about that escape that it was for so long. You know, I remember about 10 years ago, there was a feeling that a a new thing, that you weren't just escaping at the cottage. There was all these articles doing deals on the dock. And, you know, I remember sitting on a dock with my laptop thinking, here I am able to work and I'm looking at the lake. Well, we're kind of used to that now. And in your piece, you kind of wonder if it's the opposite of that, that it's about shutting off. And that isn't 
allure of it, certainly as you try to attach yourself to who you are, that maybe the fact that you don't have to be connected, although I haven't seen a lot of evidence. (laughs) (laughs) I think there is that underpinning, and maybe we like to see, see, being not connected is now a luxury. Not everyone can just put down their phone or say to their boss goodbye for the long weekend. So it's this weird thing where you almost want to be seen, not being seen or not being connected. It is. And that's kind of phony, isn't it, really, Sabrina? I mean, we're talking about finding ourselves, but there are certain cottage communities, and they will remain nameless, that when I go there, I just feel that it's kind of like, I don't know, Yorkville with lakes. Absolutely. I think that's increasingly becoming the case, unfortunately. Um, And you go to cottages, and there's house rules, and there's staff. And it's becoming an extension of Toronto life rather than something completely separate from it. So what we once tried to escape, we're now going to every single weekend. So where do we go next? Where's the next escape? That's the big question, I guess. Something will come up. I want to ask you finally, you know, we're always comparing ourselves with the Americans, aren't we? And the Americans always called their houses the lake house, the summer house. And I always thought that was fantastic, actually. It was very, it was kind of romantic. But we've always gone, you know, to the cottage. We, we love that word. What's in a word here? It definitely in different regions represents different things. So Lake House sounds just a bit more fancy by nature. It sounds a bit more perhaps upper class. And I think we went for terms like cottage or camps in Canada because it ties into that Canadian sense of modesty and that connection with the wilderness and pioneering. So it is interesting to see what different regions call their cottages uh, because it does tie into the overall culture and how we see ourselves. Thank you, Sabrina. Great piece in the National Post. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Sabrina Maddow, a journalist with the National Post. It's true. It's true. And I I wonder if that everybody who goes up north and has a cottage must be thinking about that. However, you know, I know a lot of people who love cottages. And a lot of it, if you talk to people, it goes back to what they did as a kid. You know, when you're a little kid, it was the smell of the cedar. It was the bunk bed. Any of us who slept in a bunk bed when we were a kid, I still can't handle a bunk bed. I think, you know, every time I see one, I want to jump in and fluff up the sleeping bag. And and we have that romantic connection to to a bunkie. I love a bunkie. What is it? And they're growing bunkies in popularity. So it's interesting to see what we absolutely get out of it.